Aussies are relocating from capital cities to regional Australia in record numbers. We could give you all the stats about better house prices, all the jobs on offer and higher levels of happiness, but what's better than hearing from someone who's made the move themselves? Welcome to You Moved Where, the podcast where we interview everyday Aussies who have moved from the city to the country. I'm your host, Beck Bignall, a girl from regional Australia who moved to the city and then, you guessed it, back to regional Australia. This is You Moved Where. <laughs> For a young sports-loving kid from Cody, a gold medal was the ultimate dream. And still to this day, the idea of chatting to an actual Olympian is super intimidating, unless it's Gian Rooney. A proud member of the exclusive gold medal club, Gian is a household name who is not only known for her amazing achievements in the pool, but also as an esteemed sports commentator and presenter. Despite the street cred, Gian is the real deal. She's so down to earth you'd be mistaken in thinking she's always had the country in her blood. Except she hasn't. Gian is the first to admit that she couldn't have come from a more different background to her country-born and bred husband, Sam, but he saw her roll-up-your-sleeves-get-your-hands-dirty potential from their very first meeting. A few years into their rustic romance and a couple of kids later, and Gian and Sam have created an incredible life for themselves on a macadamia farm in the Northern Rivers, throwing themselves headfirst into the operations of a working farm in an industry they knew little about was a baptism of fire. Gian is still every bit the champion that won gold for her country. She's just channeled the gutsy, go-getting attitude from the straight lanes of a pool into wide open paddocks. <laughs> Gian Rooney, you moved where? I moved to a little area called Corndale in northern New South Wales. <laughs> and you've lived in Brisbane, the Gold Coast and Melbourne. What was your childhood like in the big smoke? Um, my childhood was amazing, actually. I don't have much recollection of Brisbane. Uh, I moved from there when I was eight, but born in Brisbane, grade one and two in Brisbane, and then moved to the Gold Coast to start grade three down there and uh, had a wonderful childhood, um, but very much in suburbia. Never really thought about it much, but we were free to roam in the cul-de-sac and the street. My curfew every night was when the street lights came on, and that's when I knew that I had to be inside. Uh, Whereas, you know, very much an outdoorsy, active childhood and absolutely loved that. So never thought anything about it differently. Um, obviously, swimming was a huge part of my, my childhood and my teenage years and my early 20s as well. So I was an elite athlete from 15 years of age. And so it was quite busy quite early. I have absolutely loved every aspect of my life so far. I loved the Gold Coast. I loved Melbourne. But by far my favourite now is um, is our little plot of land in northern New South Wales. Now, I grew up in the bush and sport is obviously like a big, big part of the regional experience. And I can distinctly remember sitting around the brekkie table. We had little TV in the lounge room. And when the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics were on, we sat there and we were just transfixed. Everyone got around it. Without question, the swimming was, and I feel like still is, the best event that everyone just buzzed off, you know, for days. 
What was it like being part of that golden era of swimming in Australia? I think you nailed it by saying the golden era of swimming. I really felt like I feel so fortunate that I was a part of that time in in swimming and not only in swimming but in terms of um, where where Australia's love affair with sport was at that time as well. And, I mean, 1998 Commonwealth Games was my first Australian swim team and so it was a veteran team. It was it was an old team. It was a, a incredibly connected, supportive team, just given the age of so many of our athletes, because the Sydney Olympics were only two years away. So we had quite a number of extraordinary athletes that probably would have hung up the togs earlier if that lure of a home Olympics wasn't there. It's every athlete's ultimate dream to be able to compete at the highest level in our sport in your own country and have your family and friends in the stands and and be such a proud Australian. So we had this incredible team where, you know, I'm rooming with Susie O'Neill. I'm, you know, Hayley Lewis made a, a comeback for those Olympics. Um, Kieran, I'm sitting next to Kieran Perkins on the bus and Kieran Perkins knows my name. Like it was just this extraordinary uh I'm so, I'm so grateful for that time because as soon as I made my first Australian team, which I wasn't expected to do, I was surrounded by these people that I had had on my, you know, posters on my wall at home and they were not only as impressive as I hoped they would be, they were these incredible athletes that I got to learn from and watch firsthand what they did to become incredible, but they were also really cool people as well. So all of a sudden that first team is like, right, now I know what this is all about. I don't ever want to not be a part of this team. So it was, um, it was, it was magical. And as I said, I feel so fortunate that I had, what was it, you know, 10, 11 years in that environment um, to not only develop myself as an athlete, but as a person as well. In 2004, you actually joined the stature. You carved out a piece of history for yourself, winning a gold medal in world record time in the 2004 Athens Olympics in the women's four times 100 metre medley relay. What did it feel like to stand on a podium and have that medal pulled over your neck with your teammates beside you and that excited crowd of family and friends and all of the people who had travelled internationally to see you? Can you describe that for me? It is um, not only a career highlight, it's one of my life highlights and it's very difficult to actually explain the enormity of that moment. But in some ways, the older I get, the more uh, time that passes between myself and that moment, the more proud I am of that moment and the more that I understand the significance of it. So even now talking to you about it, I've got goosebumps running up my arm. And so that moment was just extraordinary. I got to share it with three incredible women in Liesl Jones, Patria Thomas and Jodie Henry. And I think the story of that that moment really sums up that whole experience for me because we were in the marshalling area. That that women's relay, that four by one medley relay was the very final event of the Athens Olympic swimming program. So we're the final lot of athletes in the swimming competition in the marshalling area. And I had an out-of-body experience when I looked around and I saw that every other team was preparing as a team of individuals. One girl off stretching in the corner, one listening to music, one out, you know, talking to a coach. Whereas the four of us from Australia were sitting there in the marshalling area preparing as a team. And we were having the most random conversations you can possibly think of. And what that 
showed me was there was no need to talk tactics. There was no need to pump each other up. There was no need to impress upon each other the uh, enormity of the situation. We had complete and utter faith that each member of that team was going to do their job to the best of their ability. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we, um, uh, I led off and I was probably the weakest leg of those three women, all of them now individual gold medalists in their own um, stroke. So I knew that my job was probably the most important because those girls had no issue. It was me that had to step up for the team. And so I broke an Australian record. It was the fastest I ever swam in the backstroke league to lead off. And so I'm so proud that that happened as well. I couldn't have done anything more. And, And for it to happen and for the dream to happen that way meant that I did have a moment of taking it all in. But as I said, the older I get, the more proud I am of that achievement. And I think that comes with also having kids and them getting to an age where they understand that that's pretty cool. Um, And uh, also probably just, you know, watching the younger guard come through of athletes of all walks of life and them achieving their dreams at the Olympics and going, you know, I think it sums it up probably in the statement that you are never an ex-Olympian. You are never a former Olympian. You are always an Olympian. They can't take it off you. And so, you know, lots of people make the mistake of saying, oh, former Olympian Gian Rooney or ex-Olympian Gian Rooney. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not ex. You can't take it off me. I'm not former. You can be a former world record holder. You can be an ex-world record holder. You can't be an ex or former Olympian. You are always an Olympian. And that's a very special club to be a part of. I have never thought of it like that, but it's a very, very valid point. So you've now become a household name and then... You meet a bloke from the bush who doesn't really know who you are, Chopper Pilot, the founder of The Herd Online. Talk me through that chapter of your life. Sam is hilarious and he's, he's I mean, our, our story is like a lot of those are quite amazing. In some ways we're um, very opposite, whereas in some ways we're very similar. He was a mustering chopper pilot when we met, so we only dated for a few months, met through mutual friends in Melbourne, and as you said, he had no idea what I did and I had really no idea what he did. <laughs> and uh, we dated for six months and then he had taken a job to fly out of Catherine in the Northern Territory. So the next 12 months we only saw each other four times and it would require me going up there. It was interesting to say the least. I think um, he was living in a donga with all the other, um, you know, young mustering pilots at that stage and the shed where they lived, like they even still had the plastic on the couch so that they could literally just hose down the whole shed. They would take lift the TV out and take it out and then hose down and that was their cleaning up. So they cleaned up before I got there. They pulled a six foot five brown snake out of the toilet the day before I got there on my first visit. Um, it was, it was uh, you know, it was, it was very rustic, let's just say that. But Sam had very early on, you know, made sure that we, we knew fairly early on that we were, um, we were in love and we were right for each other. But I came from a very different background and I had no idea of country life. I had no idea of, of farm life. I had no idea of any of that. But I loved it and I was interested in it and I want to know more and I want to learn more and I want to be of use. I don't really want to be on a farm and just, you know, aware that we're on a farm and and, and not be useful. So that doesn't really, I'm not that kind of person. So I feel like constantly I'm like, no, 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 don't just just don't just do something. Show me what you're doing. 
how do I do it? Like, teach me how to do it. So um, my skills have certainly increased over the, the last few years. And you've decided in 2020 that you're going to relocate, have a tree change on a macadamia farm. Hmm. How did that happen? Uh, as I figured out in Sam and my life, we um, things obviously happen because they're meant to be. And quite often we don't plan them really. We don't, we never expected to be full time on a farm. That was not part of the plan. We're on the Gold Coast. And the reason we were back on the Gold Coast is because uh, my job is all over the shop. I have no routine, no uh, set hours, no set days. Public holidays mean nothing. It's when there's work, there's work. And so my parents are on the Gold Coast. They're both retired. So we moved back from Melbourne um, to the Gold Coast so that they could be our, our backup system and they were brilliant at it. And then we very much were looking at trying to find a cattle farm within two hours of us on the Gold Coast where it was a weekend, a holiday house, but it was ultimately it had to be a working farm. It had to be able to pay for itself. We very quickly realised that land we were trying to buy and the size of land we were trying to buy in the areas we wanted to be in was um, a little bit out of our price range. And so we, we came down to look at a property that was going to auction and we just fell in love with this area, couldn't afford it, drove down the driveway and very um, clever by the real estate agent, there was a sign saying open for inspection this way. And we thought, oh, we're here. We'll have a look. Why not? And it was this little Macca farm. And anyway, gorgeous little old, you know, Queenslander kind of house on it and, you know, horse in the paddock and the kids fell in love and, you know, on the hills and it was just divine and we instantly fell in love and Sam was like, I don't know anything about maca nuts, but surely it can't be that hard. <laughs> so anyway, we bought that little place and it was, um, it was 55 acres and just a small maca farm and we were we spent the whole summer of December, you know, 2020 through to uh, 2021 here, fell in love. No one wanted to go home after holidays. We were down every weekend. No one wanted to go home on Sunday night. Uh, everyone was just busting to get back to the farm. And then as it turned out, the property next door to our little farm came up for sale. And it's a proper Macca farm. It used to be all the same farm. There's not even a fence between us. It also had operating sheds, de-husking sheds and equipment. And so we were like, right, we have to obviously sell our place on the Gold Coast. We have to move full time if we're going to do this. Are we doing this? Yep, let's do it. So <laughs> it was a bit of an impulse decision, but we knew that we loved it so much down here. We knew that we could make it work. In that time, we had met the little community unbelievably we'd also had friends through a mutual friend with kids the same age who'd introduced us to the whole school community in that time so we felt like we were we were coming to an already established setup we're fortunate that we both have off-farm income um, but you know we certainly understand and Sam has always understood that farm life um, there are many variables and a lot of them can often be out of your control so that's <laughs> something that I've learnt very quickly. Obviously, with a career as extraordinary as yours, you have to travel not only sort of interstate but internationally and you've done an amazing job of being able to juggle that life with farm life. From the outset, it looks seamless. Can you talk me through how you manage that? I, I think you're spot on. I feel very fortunate that I get such um, so many different aspects to my life and I think 
Probably uh, it goes back to swimming days. Uh, very quickly, as an athlete, I loved racing. By the end of it, I hated training. And I feel like if I could have raced um, or competed every weekend, I'd still be 40 and trying to make the Australian swim team. But at that level, top level, I only got to race twice a year. So I only got to do the part that I loved in my sport twice a year. And the, re- the rest was a monotonous grind, day in, day out, six to seven hours a day, six days a week, 50 weeks of the year. <laughs> so it, uh, it was the monotony of swimming training that was like, right, I don't, not quite sure what my life after swimming is going to look like. I just know that I can't do the monotonous thing again. So I probably pretty quickly figured out that an, an office life was not where I was headed or wasn't going to fulfill me. And I felt very fortunate that just by where I was and I was sponsored by Channel 9 for the last few years of when I swam. And so moving into TV, all of a sudden, no two days were the same. There was no routine, no monotony, nothing was the same as it ever was before. Uh, Very much having to learn on the job, think on your feet. But it was the same process that I loved out of racing that I got particularly from doing live TV and to speaking to large groups of people, was this adrenaline rush, this focus on the job at hand, the butterflies in my stomach, the um, that, that pressure-filled moment, which I had excelled at in my sport. So therefore, I knew that that was a strength. And when I found it in my job, if you like, life after, I was like, well, that's a comfort that a commonality that I take, that I was good at it over here. So surely it should transfer to over here. I still, however many years later, you know, retired in 2006 from the sport of swimming. So I've been out a long time, but it's why I love my job so much because it still gives me those moments of of butterflies in my stomach. It still gives me that feeling of, you know, excitement and adrenaline that I had from the component that I loved in my sport. So I feel very very grateful that that happened so organically. And it's also why I love people. I love hearing people's stories. I love interviewing athletes. I love lifting people up. And so I get all of those components in my job, but I do find it exhausting. The small talk is part of my job and being on and being very I guess engaged is part of my job and that can be exhausting. The travel component, there's always a travel component that can be exhausting. But then I get to drive down my driveway, my, you know, big tree-lined driveway and I get home and we're on 170 acres and can't see a neighbour and I just feel like it recharges me. It just instantly, you know, I I live two very separate lives in a way and one complements the other absolutely perfectly. So even though, as I said, we didn't devise it that way, we didn't plan it that way, it's actually the perfect setup for me. I get to fulfill both sides of my personality with where I live and how I work. So I'm actually really grateful for that. That's amazing that you get that sense of balance and you can recharge yourself, fill your cup and then go back out. Look, I suppose the perception of the Northern Rivers from other people's point of view is very much hippies and Hemsworths. What do you <laughs> what do you feel of the community that you live in and in terms of the landscape and the people, how does that feel for you? We it's actually a great question and, and one that I um 
I would love to talk about because it was a community that got, got us here. Um, I mentioned that we had mutual friends. We got to know our previous owners really well that lived on the property while they um, were setting up their next move. We had a community ready to go when we moved to the farm that we felt very close to and very fortunate about that we felt like there was, it, it, we didn't have to try too hard. It was already in place. I mentioned that we'd had trials and tribulations. I mean, the Northern Rivers um, has had such a tough last 12 months. We are 25 minutes out of Lismore. Lismore, as we know, suffered not one but two disastrous floods um, at the end of February and uh, then the end of March last year. It was horrific on a number of levels but also really um, levelling as well because here we are, we're on a hill, you have to come up a hill to get to our place. We get flooded in, our road coming into uh, our area goes under, we get flooded in. Not a lot of the farm was affected, our house was dry, you know, we are so fortunate. So watching that all play out in Lismore 25 minutes down the road and it really was all playing out on social media and it was horrific. It was, my, my family is at this address. Can anyone go and check on them? Does, I haven't heard from them. And then all of a sudden realizing that the flood was going so high that there were no street signs anymore. So then it was GPS coordinates. Can anyone get to this location? I can't get a hold of my family. Does anyone have a boat? If you can get here, like the stories uh, of, of, heroes that came out in boats and kayaks and rescued all those people a lot many more should have died than what did and it's due to the local community that that didn't happen our community rallied and I saw the spirit and the um, resilience of a community like never before firsthand and I'm so proud of the community and how they handled that situation and we're still not out of the woods we're a year now later and there's still many people that don't have a home to live in that can't afford to fix their house that um are probably waiting to see if this year is if it's going to happen again. You know, we had a family of seven that lived in our spare farmhouse for seven months that lost everything in, in Lismore. During that time, we're still trying to, we were in harvest, we were desperately trying to pick up nuts because we also knew that if we weren't financially viable, then how were we going to help the community rebuild and get back on its feet if we had no money to spend within the community? So it was a really tough time last year and um you know it's hard to describe but but many bush families understand like we had over four and a half meters of rain last year four and a half meters of rain is extraordinary you know there's a lot of people around here that uh have struggled immensely in that time both farming families and those living in lismore particularly itself and it's just made me fall in love with the community that is the Northern Rivers even more because I've watched this little area slowly rebuild and regain its confidence and people have faith in the area again. It, it highlights another reason of why we call this place home. It's a really kind of dominant image, this kind of romantic idea of living on a farm, you know, rolling hills and chickens, free-range chickens and stuff. But as you've just described it, regional Australia is so vibrant. It's not just, you know, paddocks and um, pets and all those awesome, amazing things. It's also industry and innovation and people coming together in really tough times, even though they might be really small, you know, groups of people. 
What has the experience been like for you in that city adjustment as someone who's totally fresh? How has that adjustment been for you personally? I think that that's probably what surprised me is that it, I don't feel like either myself personally or us as a family unit have missed a beat. And that has surprised me. I expected a lot more hiccups, especially with so many things happening. As I said, um, who can ever possibly prepare your kids for floods that, you know, and landslides and roads that are, and things like all of those things. um, How can you prepare anyone for that kind of life that they're not used to? So it surprised me that we, as I said, have not regretted the move for one second. We haven't ever thought about leaving or packing up. It's almost in it's probably reiterated more than anything else of why we love this area and that it's not necessarily going to be an easy ride. I mean, six years ago, our previous owners were buying water because they were in such a bad drought. So you go from buying water to five years later, having four and a half metres of rain in one year, um, you have to prepare for every eventuality around here and and that's most of rural Australia we now know is that it's one extreme to the other and so if anything again you know the the word um, resilient is thrown around a lot but I have always felt that that rural communities more than anything are resilient that's the the only word to describe them because they do deal with so much more than what their city partners do. And so, you know, I I just feel, I actually feel really fortunate to be a part of this community. And I feel really fortunate to be able to call myself a primary producer. And I feel really proud of what we've built and achieved in the life that we're giving our kids and the, uh, what we're able to show them and, and put it into perspective of how incredibly lucky we are. I have such huge respect for Mother Nature on a whole new level. It's a leveller to know that sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work or uh, how prepared you think you are, Mother Nature ultimately has the final say. Absolutely. The other thing I'm really interested in as well is the way that you describe, I heard you talking on um, Steph's brilliant podcast, The Motherland, about you, how you relate light to your experience of the regions which often regional Australia can be painted as, you know, red dirt and and things like that. I really connect with what you were saying about the light because for me I'm fascinated by that as well. That's very much played a big part of my experience in the bush and why I'm so moved by it. And I'd love you just to describe um, how the light affects you and your connection with that in the regions. You've hit the nail on the head, Beck. in the fact my camera phone is just full of sunset shots it it never gets old and it you think you've seen a magnificent sunset and the next day comes along and it's even better again and then it's different again or there's clouds in different positions it's so hard to describe the light it's so but I think what it is it's a mixture of the light and that glow that comes with it but it's also the the big skies that allow for that light. It's the feeling of space. It's the feeling of being able to breathe. It's it's seeing stars like a full sky of stars at night. Again, it gives me goosebumps while I'm talking to you about it because, you know, um, I loved my life in the city. I never thought of anything about that there was something else in the city. It was it was amazing. 
But there's something that is so restorative, I feel, about having room to move and and the room to breathe with space around you. And I think that only comes from from being in in regional Australia. And it doesn't matter what part that you are in regionally, the light differs to different places. Even on the other side of the valley, we talk to our neighbours and they get sunrises that is a completely different light to our sunset. For me, as I said, it's restorative. If, if I possibly can have the ability to sit down at the end of the day and watch the sunset, I feel like I go through a transformative process of where anything wrong or bad or hard just kind of dissipates watching Mother Nature put on a show. I've got more photos of sunsets than I do of my poor kids, but it's, um, you know, or my kids with the sunset, my kids in the light, my animals in the bar with the light. Uh, but it is just magical. And um, I can honestly say that it is probably my most favourite part, like you said, of living regionally. Yeah, when you spoke about it, I was like, it's very true and it's not something that's really leveraged in in regard to how it amplifies the experience. But I think the way you describe it is definitely how I feel about it as well. And, you know, we've spoken to a lot of people recently with the podcast and light is a theme that comes up for them. So it's just a really interesting part of the regional experience. And you talk about your kids as well and they're now going to get the experience of growing up in the country what is that like for them? And are you a little bit jealous that you didn't get to grow up in the bush as well? <laughs> I think where we were, we were so fortunate in the fact that the kids were at an age where they helped us make the decision. Do you know, they were at that age where you could actually talk to them and say, do you want to live here? Do you know, do you, do you think you want to live here full time? Would you like to live on the farm, you know, or, you know, do you want to go back to the Gold Coast and, so to be able to sit down and, and chat and it'd be a family decision was just amazing. And again, I, I'm so thankful that that happened at that time and that they were at an age where we could join, you know, have them involved in the discussion. So they love it. I mean, you know, my, we have, my daughter has a pony, my son has a four wheeler. I love that they don't get me wrong. Screens are still a big battle in our life and our household. Um, but they're not immediately drawn to them because there are jobs that they have to do when they get home from school and there's animals that need attending to and there's jobs that need to be done that don't feel like jobs for them. They're part of their world and they love it as much as we do. So all of a sudden I feel like we're giving them this really well-rounded childhood where they get the best of both worlds. They get the best of, I mean, we say we're regional, but we're, you know, school's 15 minutes down the road and supermarkets and all the rest of it are 25 minutes down the road. So we're not isolated like many, particularly farming families are. We get this, this the, as I said, the best of both worlds where they've, they've certainly got access to everything, but they also uh, have this wonderful connection to both 
you know, city life and farm life as well. I feel like as a country kid myself, it breeds this sense of like imagination, creativity, entrepreneurialism, which obviously you and Sam both have inherently within you as well. Do they bring in their buddies and their mates? Um, do they ever come and stay on the holidays and stuff their mates from the Gold Coast and things like that to give them a bit of a country experience? Absolutely. And it's even um, it's even within the community itself, because obviously we've got, you know, families at school that that live in town. And so they come out to the farm as well and and join in that and and that lifestyle as well. So it, it goes both ways and, you know, go back to their friends on the Gold Coast and get to go to the beach and then friends from up there come down here and, and get to be on the farm. So uh, we love showing everyone off you know, this area and down here. And as I said, we're so proud of what we've achieved. And we've, we've got, you know, little polled Highland cows. We've got four girls and three calves at the moment and our girls are all pregnant. So hopefully there's some more calves on the way soon. And so that side of things in the circle of life and, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're giving them a really well-rounded childhood that hopefully they can decide to either continue on when they grow up, but they've got all the tools and, and knowledge and know-how and life experience of to go whichever way that they want. Amazing. And I reckon that as they get to be older, they'll kind of get more of a sense of how much of a rock star their mum is, <laughs> especially being in such a small community. Do you ever get, um, you know, do you ever get asked to hand out the trophies at the local swimming carnival or things like that? <laughs> I've seen a few random requests because of your status. <laughs> I, first and foremost, I'm, I'm so terrified of that side. I know that sounds like I, you know, I, I do public speaking as a job, I you know, but I've always tried and wanted to be just, you know, another parent at school pickup kind of thing. You know, I I I might have been um, a, an elite athlete. Um, I might, you know, do a job that's quite public now, but ultimately, you know, <laughs> very honest in saying that parenting is the greatest leveler out there. <laughs> and uh, my parenting journey has been anything but smooth sailing. Uh, you know, when Xander was born particularly, it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was properly failing at something that was meant to be so fundamentally natural. So, you know, the whole parenting journey has been the hardest component of my life thus far and continues to be. So I I certainly don't feel, you know, like I need to be highlighted in that role in any way, shape or form. But um, I did go to our little local school and, it, well, first of all, it was quite funny, you know, the kids for I think Mother's Day last year were writing, you know, they had to fill in a form that my mum's name is X, my mum's favourite drink is, you know, X, my mum does a job and apparently Xander, who's about to turn nine, was like, is my mum a farmer? I don't know what my mum does. What does my mum does? She she goes away. <laughs> and someone, someone, one of the other kids said, uh, duh, Xander, your mum's a swimmer. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, oh, okay, and wrote swimming down. <laughs> like so no concept <laughs> of anything uh, until I, I just did a little um, speech at the school about, uh, and, you know, we've got 78 kids in the whole primary school. So it's a, it's a good size school, but it's by, by no means large, but um, about how to 
be better at public speaking and and how to use nerves to your advantage and things like that. So just like a little pep talk. And so I brought in that Olympic gold medal and, you know, that was kind of the thing that connected all the dots for all the different age groups. And ironically, it was the first time my kids had actually seen it. So, so what do you mean your gold medal is not on display in the pool room? No, it's like in the safe in a sunglass case and she's rusty and she's um looking a little worse for wear and she's dinged and she's <laughs> totally shattered my dreams of him being in this big cabinet on display I absolutely love that what do you feel like that you've given up and what do you feel like you've gained in moving to regional Australia um I probably I really honestly don't feel like I've given up anything you know uh proximity I mean there are things that were easier living in the city with with my job my commute to the airport was was smaller my ability to you know uh work uh at events and things that were close to home was was probably much easier I've obviously don't see some of my great friends as often as I used to. I don't see my parents as often as I used to when they live six minutes around the corner. Um, but everything else has been a gain. Everything else has been a positive. Um, you know, I, I feel fortunate that instead of those friends that I used to catch up for coffee with on the Gold Coast, they now come and stay for the weekend. So we actually get quality a lot of quality time, you know, more time um, in a way, in a sense, and get to properly catch up. So it's all been positives for us. We, ha- as I said, we haven't regretted it for a second, and we feel like we've um, we've gained so much uh, in our life and have such a well-rounded, balanced life that we really enjoy farming. We really enjoy the components of farming. We really enjoy. Uh, getting our hands dirty and, and and properly, you know, being a primary producer. We love that component of it. The fact that we also love the lifestyle that it affords us is in some ways just a bonus um, that the community and the 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 life and the the way our family operates, it just all works. And, you know, I think Sam is incredible in the fact that he would be like, you know, his job, he can work from anywhere where there's a phone and, and Wi-Fi service. But I could always tell that living on the Gold Coast, there was a part of him that was just not fulfilled. And all of a sudden, now, we all feel fulfilled in our various in our various um, lives. And that's the kids, and that's Sam and I. And I just don't take that for granted. I never take that for granted because um, I just can't possibly think of a better place for us to be. And so it just feels like it's right. That's the only way to describe it. It just feels like it's right. And that's pretty special. It's also pretty special to have someone like you with your visibility be able to show just the multi-dimensions of the regional experience. And you mentioned enjoying having the dirt underneath your fingernails when, you know, the rest of Australia sees you as this glamorous TV presenter. I think it's brilliant that you're able to show all the different parts of the experience because it's not just one or the other. It comes together. And like you said, you can have it all and really have this very fulfilled life. If you were going to write an ad for someone who was thinking about moving to the regions, that's your audience, 
what would you say? <sighs> I, how long's my ad? Like I could write for you know, it, could be, it could be a proper, you know, three-minute TV campaign if I really wanted to. My my biggest thing is is that uh, as I said, we've spoken about the light, we've spoken about the feeling of space, we've had the that feeling of being able to breathe and actually have the that not only the mental space but the physical space where it allows you to I feel problem solve and work through things that aren't working with a clearer um, vision because you've got the space to breathe to allow it to happen but there's so many components of where does our food come from all of a sudden you have the capacity to if you want to grow a lot of your own food or have a large component of your diet come from your backyard or land. You have the ability to know where your food comes from and how many miles it's traveled to get to your plate. All these things that we talk about with climate change and how it's impacting our lives, you are living it. You are seeing it when it's on the farm. You can see how the seasons are changing and and how that impacts both the animals and the land that you live on. You feel so connected to nature in so many different ways that, you know, I love walking around barefoot in the farm on the grass and the the red dirt and it's either red mud or it's red dirt and just feeling connected and, and feeling that we are, we are such a small fish in such a large pond, but that we are all connected, that we as a huge ecosystem all need to rely on each other and look after each other for us to survive. And that is nothing is more in your face than when you live on the land, when you live rurally. So if you want to understand how we are here, how we came to be, what it takes for us to survive and thrive, then I feel like you must have some connection to nature and that's what this is. Oh my gosh, I feel like you're a walking ad. We are so lucky to have you because that was so beautifully put. And if anyone isn't compelled to actually move after hearing that, then I don't know what will get them over the line. Thank you so much for today. It's been just such a pleasure talking to you and your honesty and perspective is just such a breath of fresh air, especially given the depth of experience and the career that you've had. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been amazing. Oh, I've loved chatting. Anytime I can be an advocate for living rurally, I will absolutely sell it because I'm pretty sure you can tell that we love it. So thanks for having me. You Moved Where is made on the land of the Kenyang people, with Gian Rooney joining us from the land of the Widjibal people. We would like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to Elders past and present. This episode was produced by Grace Rouvray and hosted by me, Beck Bignall. You can listen back to all our episodes from Season 1 and make sure you follow us so you're the first to hear the next season. You Moved Where is brought to you by www.movetomore.com.au and the Regional Australia Institute. Move to More is supported by the Australian Federal Government and if you head to www.movetomore.com.au, you can search almost 2,000 regional towns and cities to find your favourite regional destination and in the same place, find your dream home and job.